Amen. Amen. I'm glad that you're here today. And uh, I know God has you here for a special purpose today. You know, and I just want to give a big, a great big thank you um, to all of our active service members, to our veterans, um, for all the freedoms that we enjoy. Even with all of our challenges and all the problems that we see going on, I'm so thankful to live in this country. You know, this morning, we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the God we worship. You know, the the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. And the nation of Israel, I can't say that strong enough, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must stand with Israel. I can't say that strong enough because we have to stand with Israel. You know, when Americans and specifically our young people don't know and understand our history let alone world history, as well as the biblical narrative, and when we are also ignorant of the prophecies and revelation of God's word, I fear that a great many people will end up on the wrong side when King Jesus returns. This morning, we're gonna be in the book of Genesis Chapter 22, if you have your Bible and want to open that up to Genesis chapter 22, you know, there are few, very few accounts in the Old Testament that convey the message as clearly as the account of Abraham offering Isaac on the altar. You know, when we, when we talk about that, if we are observant as we read down through this, we notice many things that the Holy Spirit omitted in telling us this story. Among these are the personal conversations that might have happened and taken place between Abraham and his son, Isaac, as they journeyed toward Mount Moriah. See, no way exists for us to know the method that God used in communicating his will to Abraham. Nor do we even need to know that that information. But whether God spoke in an audible voice or through a dream or through a vision or in some other way is not nearly as important as the fact that Abraham understood God's will and was obedient to it. He came to it, he, he, he understood God's will, and he was obedient to that. And the basic truth of this account runs like a golden thread throughout the Old Testament. And in fact, there's two outstanding themes from this story that continue through the Old Testament. And the first one is this, is that God wants our best from us in worship. When we worship him, he wants our best from us. And I want to tell you this, it always, always, always comes down to a motive of the heart. 
God wants our best from us in worship. The second thing is this, sacrifice is at the heart of God's plan for humanity, especially in redemption. These two truths expressed so explicitly in this account are repeated many times and in many circumstances throughout the rest of the Old Testament accounts. I want you to get your word and read with me if you will. It's a little bit lengthy passage here. Um, Not like when we were in Romans 12 and I just pull one word or a few words out of there, but we're gonna read 14 verses here. So follow along as I read from God's word. Genesis chapter 22, verse one. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Verse six, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hands the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son, and he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for giving us this gift of your written word that we can read these accounts of how you worked in people's lives. 
Father, I pray that today you would increase our faith. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Father, I pray that today would be the day where we see you provide. Father, I pray that you would do this for your glory. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive the truth of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, God desires for us to love him. We are made in his image, and we desire people to love us. And God desires us to love him. You know, God's command to Abraham probably came soon after Abraham's covenant with Abimelech. They made a covenant together in, in chapter 21. And, you know, God's promise to give Abraham an heir, um, a, a seed, descendants, had been fulfilled. And, and, and nothing seemed to be in the way of the Lord's redemptive program being worked out through Abraham. And as we study Abraham's life, we understand it's very clear that God brought him through many tests, through many trials. In, in Genesis 12, he was called to leave his home and family and to go to a land that God would show him. He was challenged with the family test. You know, for many of us, leaving our family to do what God has called us to do or doing what God has called us to do in spite of our family is a very difficult test. Abraham arrived at the promised land only to find a famine. He lacked resources. He had to decide whether he was going to trust God or not. He had the famine test. In Genesis 13, Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen had a conflict in the promised land. There he encountered the conflict test. And then in Genesis 14, Abraham went to fight against four armies of the east with his 300 men and a few alliances. So Abraham also had the warfare test. So while Abraham followed God, he faced many tests, many trials, many challenges, and we will as well. You know, James chapter one, verse two and three says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You see, God takes us through tests in order to try our faith, in order to discern its composition, to see what we're made of, to see what's inside. Is it genuine or is it false? Is it weak or is it strong? And since God has great plans for each of his children, tests are preparation for greater works, just like tests at school. You're tested 
And then you've moved beyond that and you're tested again. And as believers, we go through tests in order to build and strengthen our faith. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so trials and testing are for God's children because we must be prepared for the things that God desires us to accomplish. See, even with all the tests that Abraham had been through, the family test, the the famine test, the conflict test, the warfare test, God decided Abraham needed another test. And he wanted the patriarch, the father of this great nation to be, the, the father of the people of God's own choosing, to be a person of unquestionable faith and to produce a family with that same character. Listen, in this narrative, Abraham encountered a very difficult test, primarily because it was the great call of his life. Abraham was called to be the father of a great nation and through his seed, through his children, through his descendants, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Essentially, the gospel was to come through Abraham and his family. In order to fulfill this, Abraham needed to be tested and built up and so do we. I'm gonna ask you just for a moment to pull the truck over and park on the side of the road, okay? There's a special cell call here we gotta take, okay? In my estimation, one of the major problems of the evangelical church today is that we've watered down the gospel by minimizing the desperate need of lost sinners. And in doing that, we've also minimized the greatness of God's salvation. We've told people that Jesus can help them with their problems and give them a more abundant life. And you know what? They're doing reasonably well in life. But they could use a little help now and then. And so they try Jesus as if he will help them boost their happiness. See, like well-fed people at the buffet... They sample a little of the Jesus appetizer to see if they like it. But they don't feel a great need for a savior. Forgiven little, they love Jesus little. But folks, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that apart from Christ, Apart from Jesus Christ, people are under the wrath of a holy God. And unless they run to Christ, they will die in their sins. People are hopelessly, helplessly lost. Look around. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. People are lost. 
And unless Christ saves us from our sins, we will suffer God's eternal condemnation. Somewhere in the process of God's dealings with us, he must bring us to a point of recognizing our great need for salvation. For some, it happens before conversion. For others, I fit in here, it happens after. But only when we see how desperate our need is will we see how great, how enormous God's provision is for, of our Savior. And, and seeing how much we've been forgiven, we will love much. So I ask you the question this morning, how much do you love God? When God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he allowed Abraham to go to the very point where he would see his desperate need for the substitute which God provided. And out of gratitude, Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. I love that. This account illustrates the salvation that God later provided for the entire world in the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God has provided a great savior for our great need. Okay, we're gonna get back on now. We can pull back on the road, okay? Moving on. The command for Abraham to offer Isaac was a command to demonstrate how much love he had for God, how much faith he had in the resources of God, and his integrity to keep his word. So when the command came to Abraham to take his son Isaac, the phrase, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, indicates the affection that the father has for his son. You know, child sacrifice was common among Abraham's pagan neighbors. So this was God's way of, of saying, how much do you love me, Abraham? Do you love me as much as the pagan people around you love their gods? If so, are you willing to do for me what they are willing to do for their gods? It's a fair question. See, obedience shows true surrender. If Abraham debated this in his mind, the text doesn't record it. It shows him as simply obeying God. He obeyed promptly. Verse three says, he rose early in the morning. He received the orders, he received the command, he knew exactly what God wanted him to do, and he rose early in the morning to be obedient to it. He made the necessary preparations. I mean, think about this. He conveniently, as we do many times, could have forgotten the wood, or maybe the fire, 
and then made up an excuse for his disobedience. But he didn't do that. He could have made excuses about Mount Moriah being so far away. God, why would I do that? Why would I travel that far just to make a sacrifice? I can build an altar right here. But what he's doing is he's being obedient to what God has called him to do. So he, he, he makes preparations and he does that. The decision must have been difficult. But Abraham rose early in the morning and he began the journey. See, he loved God and he wanted to obey as quickly as possible. Full and prompt obedience is the best demonstration of respect and love. You see, partial obedience is disobedience, revealing a lack of love and a lack of respect. And Abraham obeyed because he saw this as an act of worship. His focus was not on his great sacrifice, but on his great God. Oh, that we would just catch a glimpse of this this morning. If we could just grab a hold of this. He wasn't patting himself on the back for being so dedicated. Oh, look at me, God. You sure are lucky to have me on your team. No, that wasn't him at all. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself for all he was giving up for the Lord. He wasn't self-focused at all. Rather, he was in awe of the majesty and worthiness of God, realizing that no gift, no gift was too great, no gift was too extravagant to give to his God. If we hesitate to obey the difficult commands of God, it may be that we've lost sight of God's greatness and have become focused on ourselves. Folks, worship is with a heart of obedience. Don't be stiff-necked, don't be complaining, because listen, we never lose what we put on the altar for God. We never lose what we put on the altar for God. Abraham's heart must have been beating out of his chest as he took his son and led him up the mountain. To add to the heartbreak, he laid the wood on Isaac in verse six. But how beautifully that symbolizes God the Father would put the cross on his own son for the entire world's redemption. So Abraham offered his son, Isaac. And you know, the book of Hebrews states the fact emphatically in Hebrews 11, verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Mm. Look at this. When Abraham's will 
was completely dedicated to the fact that he was going to do it. He had in his heart performed the action. The motive of the heart matters. See, God will accept the will even though the deed has not been done yet. But he will never accept the deed if our heart has not been truly surrendered. What Abraham did was amazing. Although he offered Isaac, he did not lose him. And we never lose what we give to God. You know, sometimes we hear people say things like, well, you just can't outgive God. And when we dedicate ourselves first and our possessions to God, he gives back sometimes tenfold, sometimes fiftyfold, sometimes even a hundredfold. This does not mean that he will automatically make us wealthy because we become givers. He's not obligated to make us wealthy or to give us so much that we quit trusting in him. See, God can give us many blessings besides material blessings. He gives us so much wonderful things in this life. But listen, everything we give to God, he gives back with dividends. (laughs) God takes our time He takes our talents, he takes our treasures when we give them to him and he multiplies them exponentially, farther than we could possibly even imagine or ever do with our own selfish desires. When we, as Hannah did in 1 Samuel 1, 28, she dedicated her son to the Lord. She basically said she was lending her son to the Lord. When we do that, he makes and enhances and deepens them far greater than we possibly could. Because all the time, we're pushing them towards something materialistic. Oh, you have to have a good education so you can get a job so you can make more money. Or maybe we want them to pursue athletics or something like that, or maybe worldly acclaim. But when we dedicate our children to the Lord, he takes them far deeper and enhances them so much more than we possibly could imagine. Abraham gave Isaac to God. And God gave Isaac back to Abraham. And he also gave Abraham many, many, many descendants through Isaac. Folks, this is a testament to God's faithfulness. You know, as the hymn writer said, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Abraham 
trusted, and obeyed. You see, true stewardship requires great faith. And unless we are people of faith, I'm gonna say that again, unless we are people of faith, we cannot be effective managers or stewards for God. Abraham was a man who literally lived by faith. Every step in his life required that he trust God completely. Abraham what, had what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the right direction. He followed through, even though it wasn't convenient, even though it wasn't easy. You remember when he left Ur of the Chaldees, when he left Haran to go to Canaan, when he left Canaan to go to Egypt, and then he returned to Canaan and he patiently waited for the seed that was promised. And finally, when he offered on the altar the seed, the child of promise. See, all of these events and many more in his life required tremendous faith. What we need to understand this morning is that faith is needed in every step of the journey. Not just my journey, of your journey. Personalize this. Faith is what is needed in every step of my journey. Just because you're young and immature does not mean that you don't need to exercise faith. Just because we're old and, and, and more mature does not mean that we no longer need to operate by faith. Brothers and sisters, we need faith in our daily life journey. For everything we do, we need faith every single step of the way. Trust God. Trust God. Stop trusting in other people. Stop trusting in men. Stop trusting in the government. Stop trusting in your money. Trust God. All of the rest of that can be wiped out tomorrow. I'm saying put your trust in Jesus Christ and in God Almighty for this journey. The writer of Hebrews gives us even another great insight into this great steward of God. In Hebrews 11, just a couple verses uh, down, he says in verse 19, Abraham, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. This is consistent with what Abraham said in verse 5. He told those guys that was with him, the two young men, he said, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and what? We will return to you. Faith is not being able to see the outcome, but trusting that God knows the outcome and he's gonna take care of you. Abraham obeyed because of his unwavering confidence in God. He planned on coming back with Isaac. And you know, when Isaac sensed that something was wrong, he even asked his father, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? It's what he asked in verse seven. And Abraham's reply shows both sensitivity toward Isaac 
and great confidence in the Lord. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. See, Abraham knew. He knew here and he knew here that God could not be unfaithful. God had repeatedly given his word that Isaac was the son of promise. So Abraham knew that if God required him to kill Isaac, then God would raise him up from the dead. See, obedience to the difficult commands of God always stems from this confident faith. When you come to know God as your loving father, who cares for you more than any earthly father ever could. You can give him everything in your life and know that he will not abuse you in spite of what the circumstance may look like at the time. See, God wants to bring each one of us to the place where we surrender everything to him and totally trust him with all that is precious to us. It's what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26. I'm almost done. Now, as a father, I can say one of the most sensitive and vulnerable areas in my life was my children. It's very common for children to take a very special place in a parent's heart. Think about this. When God gave Abraham a miracle child, at the age of 100 years old. Maybe his affection grew too deep, bordering on idolatry. We can do this. We can take our children and we can lift them to the point where they are more important to us than God. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. Having raised five children, I happen to know a lot, a little something about this. But what I want you to understand this morning is that God often tests us where our affections are the strongest. When God tests our most vulnerable areas, the tests are meant to help loosen our grip on these things and make our hearts cling more to God. Do you find your identity in your work? Do you find your identity in your studies? Do you find your identity in your hobbies? Or maybe you find your identity in your friends. Or maybe it's in your family 
or a significant other, then have no doubt that is where God will test you. Wherever our heart is, God will test us there. As I wrap this up, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I just want to boil this down for you and just give you the crux of it right here. When you've surrendered all to him as your Lord, then you'll obey him. Even when he asks you to do the things that are difficult. You know, you may be thinking, well, why would anyone want to go that far with the Lord? Isn't it better if I just play it safe and and give him a little bit of my life instead of the whole thing? Do you remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? That's exactly was his approach. And his life was a tragedy. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, he said, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. See, to give our time, our talent, and our treasures on a regular, sustained basis to God, it requires faith. But the real test is how much do we love God? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means everything. But you know, we, we tend to like our idols and we like to hang on to them. But to follow Christ and to do what God asks us to do, we have to love God more. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna have a time of response. And I don't know where you're at this morning. That's between you and God. But if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, you need to confess him today as your Lord and savior. If you wanna do that this morning, I'm gonna be standing right down here. You're welcome to come down and I would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you wanna follow the Lord in baptism, you come. Maybe you're here and you wanna be a part of this church, you come. Maybe you just realize that I'm not where I need to be with God. And you just wanna come and spend some time before him. Just laying it at his feet, those things that have become idols, those things that that have gotten in the way, that you're not walking by faith, you're walking by sight rather than walking by faith. Give it to him this morning. I'm gonna close this in a word of prayer. How much do you love God? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. I pray, Father, that you would use your word.